Welcome to Apologetics with Brian O'Connell, where in each episode, I answer difficult questions that confront Christianity. In our last episode, we looked at the Book of Mormon and other works that the LDS Church considers to be Scripture. We also looked at several prophecies that were made by Joseph Smith. When looking at God's standard for prophets, we saw that due to Joseph Smith's many failed prophecies, he is a false prophet according to biblical standards. In this episode, I want to now turn from the topic of prophecy and look at the inspired version of the Bible, which is the Bible that Joseph Smith wrote. I also want to look at how the Book of Mormon was produced and see whether or not plagiarism was involved. And lastly, I want to look at the claims that Mormons make regarding archaeology and the Book of Mormon. So now let's look at the inspired version of the Bible. Joseph Smith wrote this version of the Bible between June 1830 and July 1833. I should note that this translation is not commonly known among Mormons. The reason for this is that after Joseph Smith's death, there was a church split. And after the church split, Joseph's widow, Emma Smith, gave the manuscripts of the inspired version to the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This was their name until 2001, when they changed their name from the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to the Community of Christ. Let me go back to what I was saying about why most Mormons are unfamiliar with this translation, or unaware of the fact that Joseph Smith wrote his own Bible. The reason they are so unfamiliar with this information is that the Mormon Church does not use this translation. This may cause you to ask the question, If this supposed translation was written by Joseph Smith, then why doesn't the Mormon Church use it? The answer to this is due to copyright issues. The LDS Church does not own the copyright for this translation and therefore can't use it and distribute it like the Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, Doctrines and Covenants, or any other LDS publications. Even though the LDS Church doesn't use the inspired version due to copyright issues, they still recognize it. In fact, the following was taken from the LDS website under Joseph Smith's Inspired Translation of the Bible. They wrote the following, It is generally known by members of the church that the prophet Joseph Smith made what he called a new translation of the Bible. What is not so generally known is why the translation was made, how it was made, and what its usefulness is and has been in the church. The prophet's main work of revising, correcting, or translating the Bible was done during the three-year period from June 1830 to July 1833. During this time, he and his scribes went through the Old and New Testaments of the King James Version and produced nearly 500 pages of manuscript containing thousands of variant readings and new passages that clarify and enhance the message of the Bible. As I mentioned earlier, this quote was taken directly from the LDS website, and from this quote, it is clear that this is a translation that the church is aware of. 
I'm not talking about some random work that the LDS Church rejects. No, I'm talking about a supposed translation of the Bible that Joseph Smith, the founder of their church, wrote. This brings up another question. If the LDS Church already had the Bible, why did Joseph Smith write this translation? On their website, under the same section that we've been talking about, Joseph Smith's inspired translation of the Bible, listen to what the LDS website says regarding why Joseph Smith wrote his new translation of the Bible. It says that the prophet Joseph noticed also that the angel Moroni quoted some passages that differed from those found in our present King James Version. So here, the LDS Church just claimed that the reason why Joseph Smith wrote his version of the Bible is because he noticed that the angel Moroni was telling him passages that differed from those found in the Bible. For the Mormon Church, this may seem like a really good explanation for why Joseph Smith would write his own version of the Bible. However, let's now compare what I just read to you from the LDS website to what the Bible says. In the book of Galatians, God warns us against this very thing. For example, listen to what God tells us through the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. In other words, according to these passages, when Joseph Smith noticed that the angel Moroni was quoting passages that were different than what is found in the Bible, what he should have done was to reject the message of the angel Moroni and recognize that Moroni's message was not a message from God. This brings up another revelation that the angel Moroni gave to Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon. If you're unfamiliar with Mormonism, Mormons believe that the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, they believe that the Book of Mormon is more accurate than the Bible. Whenever Mormon missionaries go to someone's house or talk to people about the Book of Mormon, they will ask the following question. They will ask that person if they have prayed about it. If you have ever interacted with Mormons, then you have been asked this very question. Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about whether or not the Book of Mormon is a revelation from God? The reason they ask this question is that this question comes from the Book of Mormon. In Moroni, chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, it invites people to read the Book of Mormon and to ponder in their hearts the message it contains and then ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if the book is true. Now, at first glance, this statement doesn't seem bad. In fact, we often hear things such as, follow your heart. However, we need to ask ourselves, is this good advice? Or, rather, is this biblical advice? The answer is no, 
Following one's heart is not wise. So what's wrong with asking us to ponder in our hearts or to follow our hearts? The reason we should never base things off of our heart is that God tells us through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. In other words, trying to use our hearts as a guide for making decisions in life is like trying to use a broken compass to navigate. And unless you're Jack Sparrow, your broken compass will not work as a navigational tool. In fact, in his book, Reasoning from the Scriptures with Mormons, Dr. Ron Rhodes asks the following question. Does a person have to pray whether to commit murder, commit adultery, commit incest, terrorize a playground, use cocaine? Dr. Rhodes answers his own question by saying, Obviously a person does not need to pray about whether to carry out such actions because Scripture has already given us biblical commands and principles that tells us God's thoughts about them. Dr. Rhodes points out that it's the same thing with the Book of Mormon. He says, We don't need to pray about whether to accept it because God has already made clear His feelings on the matter. God made this crystal clear in the passage from Galatians that I just read, where he said in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, that anyone who preaches a different gospel is to be accursed. You can't get any clearer than that. And based on this, it is clear that the Book of Mormon is a false gospel, and therefore you don't need to ask God about whether or not you should accept it. The next thing I want to talk to you about in this episode is how the Book of Mormon was produced. According to witnesses, the Book of Mormon was produced by occult practices. In fact, Emma Smith, one of Joseph Smith's wives, gave the following account that can be found on the LDS website under the section titled, Thou Art an Elect Lady. Listen to what Emma Smith said about her husband Joseph Smith. She said, In writing for your father, I frequently wrote day after day, often sitting at the table close by him, he sitting with his face buried in his hat, with the stone in it, and dictating hour after hour, with nothing between us. Another account comes from historical records from Isaac Hale, who, if you recall, was Joseph's father-in-law. These records come from the digital collections from the BYU Library. Listen to what he said about the Book of Mormon and how Joseph Smith supposedly translated it. He said, I told them then that I considered the whole of it a delusion and advised them to abandon it. The manner in which he pretended to read and interpret was the same as when he looked for the money diggers, with the stone in his hat and his hat over his face, while the book of plates were at the same time hid in the woods. As I mentioned in a previous episode, Joseph Smith was using these stones as a form of divination known as scrying. And as I mentioned in that episode, this practice was illegal and resulted in him being arrested and charged with a misdemeanor. But more importantly, this practice was a form of divination and was condemned in the Bible. 
Not only did Joseph Smith produce the Book of Mormon using divination, as I've just shown, but he also plagiarized huge portions of the King James Bible. For example, in his book Reasoning from the Scriptures with Mormons, Dr. Ron Rhodes reveals that the Book of Mormon has some 27,000 words that were taken directly from the King James Version of the Bible. More than that, he points out that there are whole verses lifted right out of the King James Version. Dr. Rhodes writes the following. He says, The problem then is this. If the Book of Mormon was first penned between 600 BC and AD 421, as claimed, how could it contain such extensive quotations from the AD 1611 King James Version, which was not written for another 1,200 to 2,000 years? Something else that should be pointed out is that even the italicized words were plagiarized by Joseph Smith. Listen to what Dr. Rhodes says about the italicized words. It is highly significant that in many King James plagiarisms in the Book of Mormon, even the italicized words from the King James Version were plagiarized. This is relevant because as noted in the preface of the King James Version, the italicized words were not in the original languages, but were added by the King James translators to provide clarity. Dr. Rhodes ends this section of the book by asking the question that we should all have after reading this, and that is, how could the Book of Mormon, which was written long before the King James Version, happen to include inserted, clarifying words from the King James translators? The obvious answer to this rhetorical question is that the reason why the Book of Mormon includes these inserted clarifying words from the King James translation is because the Book of Mormon was plagiarized by Joseph Smith. Whenever I meet Mormon missionaries, they like to talk about how the Book of Mormon is clearly divine. They say, how else can you explain how an uneducated person like Joseph Smith could develop and write such a story. The problem with this statement is that it's assuming that Joseph Smith is the source of the Book of Mormon, which is not the case. Not only did Joseph Smith use witchcraft, but he also plagiarized thousands of words of the Bible while developing the Book of Mormon. But things get worse for Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon. Not only did Joseph Smith plagiarize from the Bible, but he also plagiarized from a fictional book titled View of the Hebrews, which was written by Reverend Ethan Smith in 1825, which was five years before the Book of Mormon was published. There are striking similarities between the Book of Mormon and the View of Hebrews, and these similarities were well known by the leadership of the LDS Church. In fact, LDS historian B.H. Roberts wrote the study of the Book of Mormon, which pointed out many similarities. Listen to some of the similarities that B.H. Roberts noted. Not only does the fictional book View of Hebrews make the claim that Native Americans came from Israel, which is the theme of the Book of Mormon, but B.H. Roberts points out other similarities. He writes, It deals with the destruction of Jerusalem and the scattering of Israel, as the Book of Mormon does. It deals 
with the future gathering of Israel and the restoration of the ten tribes, as the Book of Mormon does. It emphasizes and uses much of the material from the prophecies of Isaiah, including whole chapters, as the Book of Mormon does. It holds that the peopling of the new world was by migrations from the old, the same as does the Book of Mormon. It takes its migrating people into a country where never man dwelt, just as the Book of Mormon takes its Jaredite colony into that quarter where there never had man been. Roberts goes on to say, In both cases, the journey was to the northward. In both cases, the colony entered into the valley of a great river. They both encountered seas of many waters in the course of their journey. In both cases, the journey was a long one. The motive in both cases was the same, a religious one. Roberts continues and writes that Ethan Smith's book supposes that his lost tribes divide into two classes, the one fostering the arts that make for civilization, the other follow the wild hunting and indolent life that ultimately led to barbarism which is just what happens to the Book of Mormon peoples. Besides these similarities, Roberts explains that Ethan Smith's book quotes Indian traditions of a lost book of God and the promise of its restoration to the Indians with the return of their lost favor with the Great Spirit. This is in keeping with the lost sacred records to the savage Lamanites of the Book of Mormon. B.H. Roberts clearly sees the striking similarities between the Book of Mormon and the view of the Hebrews. Roberts writes, Ethan Smith's sacred book was buried with some high priest, keeper of the sacred tradition. The Book of Mormon's sacred records were hidden or buried by Moroni, a character that corresponds to this Indian tradition in the Hill Cumorah. As you can see, There are many striking similarities between the Book of Mormon and the view of the Hebrews. And the list goes on. With so many details being the same, it led B.H. Roberts to ask, Can such numerous and startling points of resemblance and suggestive contact be merely coincidence? You might still think that these similarities are nothing more than coincidence. However, The factor that changes things from coincidence is that in June 1842, Joseph Smith not only made it clear that he was aware of Ethan Smith's book, The View of the Hebrews, but Joseph Smith actually quotes The View of the Hebrews verbatim. More than that, he actually claims that he's referencing Reverend Ethan Smith. In case you're interested in this, you can find this on pages 813 and 814 of The Times and Seasons, Volume 3, which can be accessed on BYU's Digital Collections Library Online. Knowing this, it is clear that these similarities are not coincidence, but are in fact more examples of Joseph Smith's plagiarism. Another question you might have is, Brian, why would B.H. Roberts write such things about the Book of Mormon? 
These kinds of statements make it clear that he's not a Mormon. This is clearly just another attack on the Mormon church. However, the interesting thing is that the reason why B.H. Roberts wrote studies of the Book of Mormon was because he was tasked by the LDS church to respond to questions about the Book of Mormon. His assignment came directly from the LDS president at the time, Herbert J. Grant. This information comes from the LDS website under an article titled B.H. Roberts, Seeker After Truth. In fact, in this article from the LDS website, it says that the reason why B.H. Roberts wrote what he did was because, and I quote, he was loyal. He wanted to help the church wherever he could. He knew that future generations would probably face these issues and he wanted them to be prepared. It's clear from what we've seen so far in this episode that the Book of Mormon is nothing more than a plagiarized religious fictional book with demonic roots. We've seen that Joseph Smith produced the Book of Mormon through divination, as well as by plagiarizing over 27,000 words from the King James translation of the Bible, as well as many parts of Ethan Smith's book, View of the Hebrews. I now want to address the topic of archaeology and how it relates to the Mormon church. In past episodes, I've talked about archaeology and how it completely supports and validates the Christian Bible. Can the same be said regarding the Book of Mormon? According to Mormon missionaries that I've encountered over the years, the same is true for the Book of Mormon. But it's not just Mormon missionaries that I've interacted with that make this claim. Dr. Rhodes writes that down through the years... Mormons have claimed that archaeological finds have proven the veracity and reliability of the Book of Mormon. In fact, years ago I attended an apologetics conference at my church in Napa, California. The speaker was the late Dr. Ron Carlson, and on this particular evening he was addressing Mormonism. Dr. Carlson explained that each time he does a conference on Mormonism, He makes the same promise. His promise was this. He told the audience that if there were any Mormons in the audience, he was going to make the same promise that he always makes. The promise that he made was this. He said, I will become a Mormon tomorrow if you could produce for me a map of anything found in the Book of Mormon. As I said, this was a claim that Dr. Carlson made each time he spoke on Mormonism. In the audience that night was a local bishop from a local ward in Napa who had been invited to our church by a friend. This bishop was aware of Dr. Carlson's consistent promise to become a Mormon if anyone could provide evidence in support of the Book of Mormon, and he came prepared that night. As Dr. Carlson made his usual promise, the bishop stood up and proceeded to tell Dr. Carlson that he had the proof. The Mormon bishop then walked up to the stage and handed a stack of documents to Dr. Carlson and then returned to his seat. The materials were briefly addressed as Dr. Carlson pointed out that Mormons often present information related to archaeological sites that don't relate to the Book of Mormon or Mormonism. However, as a member of the audience that night, 
I should confess that when that Mormon bishop stood up and presented Ron Carlson with that stack of documents as proof for the Book of Mormon, my curiosity got the better of me. I wanted to know what was in that stack of supposed evidence. Was there proof to support the Book of Mormon and the claims of Mormons? I needed to find out. Eventually, I was able to get in contact with this bishop and established a relationship with him. Over the course of several months, we conversed back and forth, both through email as well as on the phone. I asked him about the supposed proof for the Book of Mormon that he had handed to Dr. Carlson, as well as other questions that I had about Mormonism and the Book of Mormon. This bishop was kind enough to give me a copy of those documents, as well as send me additional resources and links that he argued was evidence for his Mormon beliefs. Did these documents actually provide evidence to support the Book of Mormon? We'll have to wait for our next episode to find out. That's all the time that we have for today. Come back next time as I look at these documents to see if they provide support and proof for the Book of Mormon. We will also look at letters from the Smithsonian and National Geographic Institute to see if archaeology supports the Book of Mormon. God bless.